This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. And I'm your other host, Adam Scalina. AKA my boss. Yeah. <laughs> so I, this morning before getting here, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking this, this is, you know, Jeff Bezos had this planned, I think. Like it was, it, timing couldn't have been any better. I'm driving here and I get an email right. from Amazon informing me that I'm not taking full advantage of my Amazon Prime membership. <laughs> Which you can thank me for. Yeah, and I'm all, I literally almost wanted to like send you the email and say, hey, can you can you? How are you not using Prime? Like uh, I just I think like of all the different subscriptions I have, like Prime. Like, do you order a lot of stuff at home on Amazon? I don't. Uh, my wife does, but right. we don't. So now I think I told you this before. Because I spent the 80 bucks, I've now converted all the offices where all the office supplies comes from Amazon now, so we can at least put our Prime membership to work. Oh. Man, yes. well, that's, that's and, and you know what the other thing is, is that the Prime, like the TV Prime, like I know you don't watch a lot of TV, yeah. but have you been looking at at least at Prime as an alternative to Netflix? Well, you know, I, I, I'm watching Suits on Netflix probably for, the, probably for the eighth or ninth time front to back. There's not a lot of good TV on at three in the morning when you wake up. So I'll get a good episode of Suits in before I hit <laughs> the Peloton. Is that how you start your day? Then? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I, think, I don't think you're doing the 5 a.m. club, and, right? And depending on what I wear that day, it depends on what episode of Suits I watch. So if it's <laughs> if it's kind of cloudy and dreary in, in the New York setting there and Harvey Specter's in black with a gray tie, that's right. what I show up looking Whether, like. Even if it's a heat wave in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, you're in uh, your turtleneck. Yeah, but I, I was interested because you guys were talking about succession. I caught your, your this week's episode yeah. i'm thinking finally you guys are getting into some good programming now oh man you know what's crazy is i'm watching i'm doing a second lap through succession yeah. right now yeah. and uh i forgot how good it is but like yeah. the the first season there's some uh it's just i so think good. isn't will ferrell one of the producers of that show is he really i think he is i think someone told me that a long time when it, when it first came out because i was sort of stuck on like billions yeah so i got the billions i got the have suits. you gone through billions is that watched everything front to back really and yeah. that's good I would say as it, the seasons go on, you know, it's becoming a little bit more drawn. Kind of picture like Entourage, yeah, from a business setting where the main character is it Paul Giamatti? Yeah, he's in it. He just he's great. Yeah. It's him and I can't remember the the other gentleman who plays Bobby Axelrod, but he's uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Day Lewis is sure in Daniel, Billions. No, I'm, pretty, really? I'm pretty sure it's Daniel. We might, we might want to fact check <laughs> that before, we, before we put this out there, right? If, if he can you imagine if he finds me on Twitter and says, "You ever." <laughs> Try to say that about my career again. I will find you. Um, <laughs> From in the name of the father to billions. Uh, but it's it's the show is becoming a little bit more far fetched. But they kind of they've kind of taken it to that entourage where the main character will go watch like a Metallica concert, and then Metallica will play Metallica, and they'll come up to him as if they know him because he's a billionaire. So they've kind uh, of taken it down that entourage thing where they've got 
celebrities that come in now, uh, sport athletes that come in, and they all know who Bobby Axelrod is because he's such a hugely successful business person in the show. But he's kind of, I mean, I think he's, you know, it's corrupt what they're doing and stuff. So it's... I, I think it's... I, I'm just Googling this. Uh-oh. I think it's Damian Lewis. Oh, no. That... And... Oh, no. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, this isn't going very well for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get sued from Fido from about four episodes ago. I'm pretty sure right. this guy's agent, if, if by any chance we have more than 13 listeners this week, his agent's going to reach out to me and probably uh, threaten me now. It's, yeah. <laughs> This podcast isn't going as planned, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Well, who do we have on the show today? Today we got Pat Wood, who's in our William Wright Victoria office. And the interesting thing is he was probably the authority when it comes to appraising self-storage. And self-storage right. falls under the commercial umbrella and one of the fastest growing asset classes. So we were fortunate enough to pry him out of that industry and get him on our team because it's an asset class that's just booming. That demand is huge. People yeah. want it. We want the top guy. So we got him out of that industry, got him in with us. Been phenomenal ever since. I've never met a guy that knows so much about self storage. It it's, is it's incredible. obvious in this show too. I mean, it's incredible. Like we we ask him a lot of questions. We cover the whole self storage landscape yeah. here, and then he offers some investment. And it, this is the thing: is a lot of people listening are probably thinking, "Well, self storage. I need a lot of money to get into this." Yeah. But it turns out there's actually avenues for investors yep. if you just want to get a piece of the action. And there's a lot of action. Yeah, to- and the and the returns, like you know, the returns they put out there. And right. it, when you sort of think about it. And he talks a little bit about like the lease terms and the potential increases on rents and stuff like that. It makes a lot of sense from an investment standpoint. Like picture, right. picture it's like a multifamily building with a hundred doors. Yeah. Right. But you're getting a lot more on a monthly basis for the size of the door that you're you're leasing out versus say a multifamily building. And no kitchens, no bathrooms, Nothing. no plumbing, no Nothing. you know. Like he was saying too, that, that you don't have to change your roll up doors because they're guaranteed for a hundred thousand roll ups. Like it's just like <laughs> like you, you you hire one or two people to sit at the front and you're and you're good to go. Yeah. No, I love this episode. And uh, we had, uh, we on our show, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, a while back, we had the uh, nationwide storage, which is all over Vancouver now. So we talk a little bit about that and that investment opportunity as well. This is a fantastic show. So all things self-storage with Pat Wood. Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial, John, Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so we're here with Pat Wood, commercial broker at William Wright Victoria office, right? Self-storage specialist. How are you doing, Pat? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Pat, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I started off my career in commercial real estate as an appraiser, did a bunch of commercial work, and then moved into the self-storage world. I had an opportunity to become the director of Canadian Self-Storage Valuation Services, which is the premier self-storage appraisal firm in Canada. Got to speak at all of our national conferences, work with all different ownership groups, individual mom-and-pop shops and everything. And uh, that was for about six years of my career. And then most recently, I've joined uh, William Wright on the brokerage side. We pried him out of there. 
We had a <laughs> rip, rip him out of the appraisal business. He was the authority and the asset class was growing too fast. We needed to find the best guy in the business. So we had to crowbar him out of there. <laughs> Very happy I made the move. Right. <laughs> so Pat, one of the biggest reasons why we wanted to have you on is for some people that don't know, you know, self-storage sort of falls under the commercial real estate umbrella and more importantly, probably under the industrial type umbrella. It is just an asset class that seems like over the past five years, maybe decade, and you'll know better than I will, that's just like roaring and you can't find product, and it seems like the numbers just go up every day if you can find stuff. So maybe, can you unpack for our listeners, what is self-storage? Like, what, what is it? What are, what are, why is there this huge craze, and why is it booming so much? Yeah, so, so self-storage in its infancy started as a way of land banking. People had land on the outskirts of cities. They didn't know what to do with it. The U.S. started self-storage in the late 60s, early 70s, Canada kind of came behind in the mid-70s, and you'd build these kind of single-story, prefabricated drive-up facilities, and you still see them in smaller towns or on the outskirts of cities in places like Vancouver, even Victoria, Toronto, Calgary. All the sort of single-story facilities and the cores have been redeveloped because the land's just too valuable. So yeah, originally, I have a piece of land. I want to generate some revenue. Let's put storage on it, and then when we're ready to develop, we'll redevelop it. But a lot of these facilities started making so much money, it didn't become feasible to redevelop the land. And now we've moved into these multi-story, high-security, climate-controlled facilities you'll see in major metropolitan centers that yeah, are probably one of the hottest asset classes in Canada right now. Now, when you say land banking, just for our listeners there, that's sort of referring to, you know, people are buying land with future intentions and they're putting something on that land to generate revenue to service the debt in the meantime, maybe like a golf course, for example. That was traditionally how self-storage started and then obviously became much more desirable. Exactly. Yeah. When when you have uh, multiple acres of land and, and the bank wants to get paid every month, you got to figure out what to do and, and storage fit the bill for a while and and then it kind of became a lot of people's actual main business rather than, oh, we're going to develop this later. One thing you said there was was single story. And, you know, for, for people that drive around and see these things, they almost look like many apartment buildings now. Is that kind of the trend? Because, you I mean, demand is so high that these guys are building multi-level self-storages now? Yeah, it, it's partially due to demand, but it's also due to land value. You know, one of my former appraisal clients, very good friend of mine, uh, opened a facility in Vancouver about a year ago, and he paid about $12 million for half an acre of land to build his facility on. The wow. only way those numbers work is if you go multi-story. He'll, he built five stories. Wow. So yeah, in any major metropolitan center, you're going to see you know, three, four, five, even six-story facilities. Uh, North Vancouver, there's a six-story plan, but the original plan was to try to build 12, but the uh, municipality wasn't that happy about a 12-story facility. We're, they're not yet keen on the uh, self-storage office tower luck yet. <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet. But if you go to places like New York or LA, you'll see 10-story storage facilities because, uh-huh. again, land value is is so high that to get your revenue back, you need that much density. Wow. Wow. So I guess I think here's the obvious question I think everyone's thinking right now is who rents these? Why do they build them where they do now? Because now you're seeing them pop up in you know, East Vancouver. Why? Yeah, who, so who rents some of these? the most expensive spaces. I know. I don't. Too. Uh, who, who rents well, these? It, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny you say that about the expensive spaces. So the most expensive storage in North America, depending on the exchange rate, is either a facility in San Francisco or a facility in Kitsilano. 
depending where the Canadian dollar is. Wow. Uh, and a five a five by five unit rents in those facilities for about $125 a square foot. Wow. So the you know the revenues are huge. And for clients, typically we were seeing, you know, the clientele being about 75% consumers, you know, your residential. Yeah. But in the most recent facilities in Vancouver and East Vancouver and the Grandview area that are just leasing up, that mix has shifted almost to 50-50 with what we're seeing with commercial users. Wow. Uh, because in Vancouver, industrial space is well, hard to find, we'll say. I think yeah. the last report I saw said vacancy was about 0.1%. It's just gone uh, awful so, out there right now for tenants. Yeah. So if you're a plumber or an HVAC technician or someone who needs to keep supplies close to where you work in downtown, storage offers you the ability to essentially have an office slash warehouse on a month-to-month contract for way less than you'd have to pay for an industrial space with no personal guarantees if you want to close your business, move your business, you give them 30 days notice, you're out. But if your business expands, you can rent the locker next door and expand your business too. Right. You know, and during COVID, we actually saw a lot of people who had inventory issues where, oh, my store is closed, but all this inventory showed up. They rented storage to store their inventory. Wow. So it's really a nice flex space. Wow. Before we came on, Adam was, we were talking about this and Adam was contemplating taking a garage and splitting it into three to rent it out as self-storage. <laughs> I think when you told them how much they were getting for a five by five, I think Adam's I'm doing decisions. the whole garage, yeah, the whole garage, it's the, the house, the house, garage. everything. Yeah, exactly. yeah, There's a company out of Utah called, I think it's Neighbor, where they allow like it's, it's crowdsourcing storage. And I mean, I don't really get wow. behind the idea of keeping my valuables in someone else's garage, but they raised about $25 million to build a company. So, wow. I'm doing huh. the trunk of my car. I'm doing everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, kids. We're sleeping in a tent because yeah, Daddy's exactly. getting 120 for your room right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Pat, how easy is it to build these? Like, how easy is it to get approval? Do you just need industrial land? Is that is that all you in need a, in a major metropolitan center like Vancouver? It is incredibly difficult. If you came to me right now and said, Pat, money is no object. I want you to open me a brand new shiny storage facility as fast as possible. I could probably give it to you in four years. Wow. Now, does that also push the demand for these things when they're built from buyers because yep. it's just such a challenge to get them? Yeah. So what we're seeing now, and this is this is right from some of the CEOs of the major groups, uh, Storage Vault, Storage Mart, Public Storage, is that the discount on a non-lease facility versus a lease facility it used to be 30 or 40% because there's that lease up risk. Now it's less than 10%. In some cases, if you started leasing and you hit 15% occupancy, you can sell it for a full stabilized value because it is so difficult to build. And when you say you know, stabilized in, in value for the listeners, that's that's fully occupied. You're running your numbers yeah, fully, as if it's fully occupied now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In, in Vancouver, uh, the city of Vancouver, uh, if you look at the industrial zoning in False Creek Flats, the first prohibited use is self-storage. And is that just because they don't want, with the numbers so good, they want to restrict on, because I mean, presumably we'll just be living in a, in a bunch <laughs> of self-storage. Is that more just to make sure that our industrial is diversified? Uh, a big part of the issue cities see is that self-storage doesn't provide employment. A storage right. facility will have three employees. They never look at that part I was talking about where you have your trades using it or your business is using it to generate more employment. You know, I I have a 
a side hustle that does military flags and apparels with my former roommate. And we run it all out of the storage locker. We don't have retail space. We don't have storefront and we just pay month to month, you know, and, and that's a business that probably wouldn't run if we didn't have that option. I think that's so, our, that could be our next episode. This is, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as much I, I'm, I'm holding back. I want to dive into that more than anything, but um, <laughs> so hang on, Pat. Uh, one other thing about here is just thinking about if you can create a scenario, like I'm thinking about, I think it's nationwide who yeah. has a space in, um, in East Van and they're doing a lot of like, I think the business model is car wash with self-storage. Yeah, that East Pender site, I actually did all of the appraisal feasibility work, everything for those oh, guys. Wow. Just before I hopped on, I actually missed a call from uh, the principal of that. Oh, he's <laughs> actually been on uh, on our other show. Yeah, and it's uh, it's funny because I think like one of the things is presumably a car wash is not adding more employment either, really. You only have maybe one or two people on site. So, I mean, I guess, is there a way to kind of bridge the gap where you can add more, like to get around the zoning challenges with adding more employment by having maybe two businesses operating in one space? Yeah, definitely. So usually in Canada, because we're behind the U.S. in trends by five to 10 years, we look to the U.S. to see what they're doing. And we're starting to see mixed-use buildings in storage. If you go down to Miami, which is a place that I would tell people to never build storage because they have enough for the next decade or two. You have ground floor, office or retail, and then in some cases, a restaurant patio on the roof of this storage facility. Because realistically, you're building a concrete box, you can make it look however you want. So you make it look good, and then you you put a restaurant on the top, and there you've created employment, you've created traffic, and, and then the city is a lot happier with that. Wow. Just my my mind's spinning of how many different businesses. <laughs> part part of me thinks for my retirement now, instead of trying to buy like a nice house on the water somewhere, I'm going to buy a self storage place, put my house on the top floor, <laughs> yeah. and just rent out all the closets below. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what are outside of the numbers? The numbers obviously seem really attractive, but what are some of the other benefits of going into self storage? Yeah. So storage, you know, nothing is recession proof. I'll start by saying that. But storage has proven to be one of the most recession-resistant businesses out there. And typically, the front part of an economic downturn, you actually see storage use uptick when people are you know, downsizing their homes, closing their businesses, but moving stuff into storage because they think they may reopen. You know, There's still that, that feeling that we're, we're going to keep going. And then once people start moving, you, know, you get a lot more storage work there too. But the other thing is... And, you know, I don't want to shout this too loudly, but the storage industry is completely unregulated by the government. I'm going to take off my William Wright hat for a second, put my Canadian Self-Storage Association hat on because I, I do a lot of work with them on a volunteer basis. And the Canadian Self-Storage Association is really trying to help with that, has done white papers on on all locking, you know, overlocking lockers, selling people stuff, rental increases and all of that. But there's no restrictions on rental increases in the storage industry like there is a multifamily. So if you think you can raise your rates in your facility 20% and you won't have everyone move out, have at it. And we see that in very hot markets. I used to rent a storage locker in Victoria from the largest storage company in Canada, Storage Vault. I would, on a less than yearly basis, about every nine and a half months, get between a 12 and 19% rent increase. Wow. And their facility is 100% full with a waiting list. So you can really grow the revenues and storage way faster than expenses. And you're not 
burdened with governmental oversight in terms of rental increases. And, you know, people are worried that that may come, but we have, as the Canadian Self-Search Association, approached the federal government and they said this is a provincial issue. And then all the provinces said, go talk to the feds. So, yeah, it's it's a great way that, you know, these businesses can grow their revenue faster than inflation. So, you know, inflation is a big, big topic right now. Well, storage can stay ahead of inflation. Adam right now is performing out his garage with these. Uh, he's writing the rules down, figuring <laughs> out how building much. Building out I, the I, floor plan here. I got a spreadsheet I can send you if you want. <laughs> so, so this is my this is my next question. Here is how long are these leases? I show up and I got to rent a storage locker for some golf clubs. Am I signing a month to month lease? Am I signing a six month lease? A one year lease? Like how? What am I signing up for? And it's and it sounds like there's no standard lease agreement. Like it's just it's created by the operator. It is. So typically, you'll sign a 30-day lease agreement. More recently, some facilities have moved to a weekly, but then they charge you for four weeks at a time. So yeah, you'll sign between a 28 and 30-day agreement uh, that just renews on the last day. You have to give them 30 days notice to vacate. And that's that. And I, I would be subject to that price increase then. So if I'm there six months later and I get a notice that, hey, you're paying 112 now from 100, I'm, yeah. I'm subject to that. Yep, there's no, yeah, there's, you know, a lot of places will give 30 up to 90 days notice that your prices are going up. But yeah, you're subject to that. So, you know, unlike an industrial building where, all right, well, lease rates have gone way up in, in East Vancouver in the last four years, but we have a 10 year lease. We can't do anything until the lease is over. You can do something in 30 days. The other thing, you know, that is a stability. And we go back to that whole recession resistant thing is, you know, one of these new facilities will have over a thousand lockers so a thousand tenants even if you know one sector of the economy crashes it's probably less than 10 percent of your facility you know whereas i'm reminded of when i was still in my appraisal days being just outside of niagara falls doing some appraisal work and i got on the highway and i drove past a uh, a shopping mall that had a target and a sears in it and they had both just left canada that's a very bad day for that that tenant or that landlord but the self-storage guy, if he lost two tenants, it, it probably wouldn't even show up in his numbers. Adam's texting his neighbor right now to see what his garage is doing, <laughs> if it's available. <laughs> so so hypothetically, I mean, these, this revenue stream could, could grow 10, 20% annually as long as there's continued demand for this product. Correct. Wow. Where this is going to be the uh, Vancouver uh, self storage real estate podcast yeah. here pretty soon with these yeah. numbers. Corey, Corey's just shutting down the commercial brokerage side of <laughs> yeah. his, uh, yeah. his I'm, office spaces. I'm, 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 yeah, exactly. I'm trying to see if we can get the word self storage on our feature walls and all of our on all of our lobbies yeah. right now. <laughs> so, um, so, so Pat, so maybe maybe in thinking about so it sounds it sounds really really good. It sounds like the municipalities are, are in some of the zoning restrictions are are some of the biggest challenges. What are some other challenges with self-storage? Yeah, so you do run into situations where too many people think it's a good thing and build at the same time. You know, there's some markets in the lower mainland, uh, Abbotsford probably being one that is slightly oversupplied with storage. So occupancies are being hurt a bit. You can't raise your rental rates because the guy down the street isn't and he's got space so your people could just move easily. And we've seen that in some other markets. Uh, Las Vegas would be one, Phoenix, the greater Phoenix area in the U.S. Another where people have overbuilt 
because it's it's a great investment. The thing is, because our population keeps growing, it'll fix itself. So it's a temporary thing. You know, the other stuff is is management. I mean, these are operating businesses. You have to run them every day. You don't just put up a storage facility and then collect the money. You know, you're managing everything going in that facility, which is which is why we see cap rates and storage facilities being higher than the light industrial asset class by a bit because you know, a light industrial building, you lease it out, you have your property manager, and you just walk away and then come back in four and a half years and renegotiate a new lease. Storage is a much more involved and active business. What type of occupancies would say traditionally these places run? Are they running at 100% occupancy in the very, very busy markets? Or is there kind of a, a rule of thumb that you always want to keep 10 or 15% vacant for price increases? Like, like what yeah. type of occupancy could a purchaser sort of count on when they're trying to perform something out? When I talk to an operator and they tell me that their occupancies are over 90%, my first thing I tell them is you need to raise your rates by 10%. In this industry, stabilized occupancy is around 88 to 90% because you always want that last 10% available. I won't quote which CEO it was in the storage industry, but he said to me, yeah, I never want to turn the guy away on Friday afternoon at five o'clock who just got kicked out by his wife and has all of his worldly possessions in his car because I have no space because he'll pay anything. <laughs> so you always want space to be able to raise rates. And that way, as you're raising the what we call the rack rate or the, 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 you know, the street rate when people come in the front door, then you can bring the facility up to those new street rates. You say, well, this is what they're paying. So now, now all my existing people need to pay that too. Whereas wow. if you're at a hundred percent, you can't, you can't keep generating that that revenue growth as quickly. It's almost kind of like the hotel industry where you keep a couple of rooms kind of open for those last minute guys that will yep. you know, show up and will pay anything. Well, Adam, that could that exactly. could be your slogan. Did you just get kicked out? Are you in the middle of a divorce? <laughs> Call Adam. We got space. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just bought three sheds on Amazon <laughs> while you were saying that. Um, <laughs> delivered this week. What about uh, insurance? Like, is there add-ons? Like, how how does that work for first of all somebody who has their possessions at these self-storage facilities. Like, does the company offer like an add-on for insurance or do you are you responsible for your own belongings? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. And because we're BC focused, I'll I'll talk more about what happens in BC than what happens in the rest of the country. The insurance regulators in BC, surprise, surprise, are very difficult to deal with. You have to be licensed to sell any insurance product. So in other provinces, you can buy content insurance over the counter, essentially, and insure your contents up to a certain amount. In BC, most facilities have gone a different route where they just offer standard $5,000 protection plan with your rental. If you want to buy more, you can do that. They'll tell you who to call and there's licensed insurance brokers to do that. Most people think their storage facilities are covered under their homeowner policies until they go home and actually read their homeowner's policies. And it says anything stored offsite for more than 15 days is no longer covered. So that's that's something that people need to be aware of, that although you think you're covered, you're probably not. You know, having said that, other than some theft in some of the older kind of drive-up style facilities where it's easier to hop a fence and snip a lock, these new high security facilities are, are pretty hard to break into, very well security monitored and, and cameraed. So there's not a real... Th- Theft issue. So you're just insuring for 
catastrophic loss, water damage, fire damage kind of thing. And, and setting, and I mean, obviously you'd have to, you'd have to set up the facility so it's secure. So that would probably be, you know, an, an added cost for getting up and running. Are there other things? I mean, I guess it's probably in terms of improvements that someone has to do to get these up and running. Is there a lower cost to barrier cost for entry or, or yeah, what are your thoughts on that? It definitely is. I mean, the nice thing about storage is you're not putting kitchens and toilets and bedrooms and carpet and everything in each unit. You know, you, you do have the steel partitions, the roll-up door, the individual alarm, uh, security cameras, all that kind of stuff. Your startup costs to demise building are significantly lower than what it would be to build multifamily. Additionally, you don't have to refresh the storage facilities nearly as often. You know, the leading roll-up door manufacturer warranties their doors for 25 years or 100,000 uses. If you lose a door after 100,000 uses, I, I'd, I'd be asking other questions about why people are going in and out of that locker so much. Right. It's a 10% raise on the rents every six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I'm curious about, Pat, is is when you're kind of running the scenario for where to where somebody should actually create one of these spaces, I mean, I guess there's the big question that a lot of people would have is, okay, I can I can rent in Vancouver or I can like I can rent in the city or I can rent in, you know, go out, drive out to maybe Chilliwack or, or somewhere further out and save some money, especially if I'm going to be storing stuff for a long time. Is it mostly the small businesses that are like, what, what's the, what do you see the big difference of the type of tenant in the urban environments versus kind of the more kind of rural or suburban markets? Yeah. So in the urban environments, we see smaller average unit sizes and storage facilities, just like we do in housing. The fact that we're building condos in Vancouver at less than 500 square feet on a regular basis with no storage, they're also selling for $600,000. People who buy those have money and they have stuff they need to store. They have golf clubs, they have skis, they have Christmas stuff and all that. So that's what we're seeing in the downtown core. But, you know, your example of driving up the Chilliwack, you know, and, and this is one of the key tenants of storage that we don't like to talk about too much is people are just inherently lazy you know, oh, I have to go get that for my storage locker. And then you have to drive to Chilliwack and back from downtown. It's not worth saving 50% of your storage locker if you got to be in the car for two and a half hours. You know, we don't see, we see kind of cross shopping into a five or 10 kilometer radius, but that's about it. When people are looking to build these things, it's kind of that first rule of real estate is figure out where people are going and then get there first. Yeah, makes sense. You know, my my former client who opened this facility on Skeena Street, right next to the Grandview Walmart, the only Walmart in Vancouver. Well, when we were doing his feasibility work, I got wind that that property was for sale. And it transacted, I think, two years ago now, and they're going to put eight or ten towers on that in the next five years. So he's leasing up at a very good pace today. But once a thousand people move in across the street, he's full for the rest of his life. So, you know, you have to have that longer vision on what you want to build, too, and just understand that maybe if you're looking at the two-year or the three-year, it doesn't make as much sense as you're looking at the five to ten-year. How competitive is the space? Very. It's very. Like, the operators, I'll start off by saying they're all very friendly and they all work together very well. But, uh, you know, Google AdWords for self-storage, last I saw... A self-storage click in Vancouver proper was worth $55. Wow. 
So your your cost of acquisition is high because you know what these clients are worth. It's a very competitive landscape, and it, it's it's still a very fractured market where we have you know these top eight companies that are massive that own probably thirty percent of all the storage in Canada, and then all the other mom and pops underneath it. So it's competitive, but more amongst those groups than between those two groups. Well, one one comment you made when we were out for lunch earlier this week was the American REITs that I guess are the self-storage REITs haven't even got here yet. What type of market does it have to sort of get to where they start coming in? And if they start coming in, does that just put more demand, more pressure, pushing up prices even further now that you've got people from down south coming up here to acquire it because the numbers are attractive? It does. I mean, the, the closest thing we have to an American company, we have kind of two, which would be Public Storage Canada, Although, unlike public storage U.S., public storage Canada is privately held. And then Storage Mart, which is split between both sides of the border, and they're also privately held. You know, the REITs will get here. But the problem, or maybe not problem, is for them to be willing to spool up their, you know, their whole getting going in Canada and their infrastructure, they, they need purchases of over 500 million U.S., and there just aren't portfolios really of that size available. There's a few in the, you know, one and a half to two billion storage vault being a publicly traded company, but then everything's kind of in that 150 to 200 million range. So it's a very tough spot for them to jump in to get consolidation going. But having said that, it will happen. Uh, they're running out of things to consolidate in the U.S. And their next logical step is to come across the border. And that will change the Canadian landscape significantly. Yeah, so that's my problem why I'm not in this that business yet because you mean I can't find anything over that five hundred million dollar mark that really appeases me. <laughs> so <laughs> garage storage.com by Adam Scalina. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Pat, how does the average so I mean a lot of people are listening to this and are probably thinking, you know, how can I get involved or can I get involved? Like what is the best avenue for you know, kind of more the mom and pop style investor and is, is, are there opportunities? And then also thinking about it, like, you know, and I don't know if you have a favorite REIT in the U.S. that you think is, is a good investment or ways for people to get involved in self-storage. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a few different ways, depending on what your amount of capital is. I mean, your small facilities in BC are going to go for 2 million up to, well, I mean, you can you can spend a lot of money in BC, but you can find smaller one-off facilities and small communities for two two and a half million dollars. You know, that'll give you a good return. Get your feet wet. There's other choices. You had mentioned nationwide earlier. They do like an income trust type model where you invest with them, and then they do all the work, and then you just get paid. You know, and I'm full disclaimer. I used to work for them as a a uh, educator for the investors and I, I did all their feasibility work, but uh, I, I'm a big fan of what those guys do. They do very good work. You know, I think they're, they're going to get ready to spool some more projects up in the near future, which is from my understanding. And then if you just, if you just kind of are happier with the public markets, Canadian, you know, traded term would be storage vault SVI. They're the largest storage company in Canada. You know, Stephen Scott's the CEO I used to deal with Iqbal, their their CFO a lot. They're great guys. They really know what they're doing. You know, they've taken that that stock from pennies up to 475, 485 recently, and and they keep growing. You know, building is tough 
it's a long road, even in smaller communities, but not impossible. You know, and, and if you're looking to acquire, uh, I will say that a majority of self-storage deals happen off market. So, you know, find a, uh, a knowledgeable self-storage broker, believe me, uh, give me a call and uh, we can see if we can find some property for you. Now, is demand this high across Canada or is this more isolated to, say, B.C. and maybe Toronto, maybe Montreal, Quebec area? Or is this something that's booming in Winnipeg as well? It's it's funny you mentioned Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg is the most price sensitive market I've ever visited. That makes sense. (laughs) People will drive an hour for for five dollars a month. Uh, So Winnipeg, maybe not. But yeah, even Saskatchewan, uh, Alberta, I'm. You know, I, I like Alberta still. You know, the price of oil has crept up to $75 while no one was watching. But yeah, I mean, BC is incredibly hot. And then anywhere in Ontario, Montreal, Quebec City, and then the Maritimes have, have started really taking off as well. They're experiencing a population of real estate boom uh, out way east right now. And, and anywhere that has a growing population will need storage in the future. So it's it's hot across Canada. You know, even in the places I say it's not it's not hot. That just means that it's normal. It's not depressed. You know, you actually may see a facility come to market. It may be on market for a week or two, and then it'll sell. Whereas in BC, you will very rarely see a facility actually be marketed as an open marketing thing. You know, a lot of exclusive listings, a lot of pocket listings taking place. So yeah, it's it's an asset class that has gotten people's attention everywhere right now. So is this something where I sort of follow the the housing market per se, where I'm looking in like a Kelowna or I'm looking in a greater Victoria area where they're seeing massive growth year over year? Are these areas that self-storage companies are looking for saying, hey, we need to get into that market, look at the population trajectory there? Or are they going to go in more safer routes and say, hey, that's too small for us to get into in case, I mean, Tom and Bill also open one down the street type of thing? Yeah, the, the self-storage, the larger companies are, are very sophisticated. So, you know, they're they're already in those markets. You know, we, we've had two new storage facilities open in Greater Victoria in the last year with another one in planning. A third one just got, or a fourth one just got shelved for now. Kelowna, they've built a ton of storage, maybe not necessarily where they need it, you know, if you want to store by the airport, feel free. If you want to be in West Kelowna, there's lots of storage there too. But yeah, you know, these are markets where if you look at, at housing growth and population growth, as long as it's strong and projected to be strong, you're going to do fine in, in the macro. I mean, yeah, maybe you might have a, a slightly slower lease up or something like that, but it'll work itself out. Is there a market right now that you're seeing that maybe is underutilized, that's sort of an up-and-coming market that if, uh, I mean, Adam's going to go acquire some more sheds and garages, that's where he needs to go, like, say, like a Kamloops or a Cranbrook? Is there something out there that people are, haven't got into yet that the, you know, the in, industry is looking at? In Metro, yeah. in Metro, Tri-Cities is still fairly underserviced with the population growth they've seen there. Not oh. a lot of great storage out there. That's surprising. Um, Huh. I'm thinking in my head right now how big my garage is. <laughs> yeah, like if you think of like Port Moody, there's yeah. there's no storage around there. Right, Pit Meadows, wow. there's no storage. Maple Ridge has a bunch of storage, but but again, you know, bridges are kind of an issue for people sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so so that's in the metro. That's you know, Chilliwack's always a strong market, although there's apparently two new facilities planned out there now. So that that's the thing you got to make sure someone hasn't beaten you to the punch, or it could be a very bad day. Delta as well. 
you know, very, very large demand that's unfulfilled in Delta to Lawson area. And a lot of that is because of land ownership out there. You know, it's tough to find industrial land that, that isn't on a 99 year land lease. And a lot, a lot of investors don't want to go that route. Although I think it could be a great route, especially with how aggressive the, the First Nations bands out there are in economic development. I think there would be a great JV opportunity if, if one of the bands wanted to get involved. And I've, I've said that for a few years now. And, and I just, you know, I think those in the lower mainland would be your markets. Do you want to look sort of outside? You know, your, your Okanagan, Kelowna's pretty built out. Vernon's getting a new facility right now. They're converting the old Canadian tire. Penticton just got a new facility. So this is the thing. We're, we're kind of going through a building boom, which happens about every seven years. And then we play catch up and then we build again. But if you look at, at places like Fernie, I have a former client in Fernie who, who um, if anyone was looking, he would sell his facility. You know, they're full because Fernie's growing so rapidly. And housing such an issue there. And, and that's where I think we're going to see a lot of the new people who enter the market is if you want to build, you're going to go to these smaller communities that are growing. Whereas, you know, getting into even in Kelowna, I mean, your industrial land is very expensive now. So it's, it's quite an endeavor to, to put together the, the financing to do that. There's a recent uh, transaction in Kelowna. And I don't know if it's closed yet, but rumor is it was 1.66 million for the per acre for industrial land up there now. What? Yeah. yeah, just bonanzas. So just, just, yeah. I guess a final question here, Pat, just more or less asking probably for a friend here. Uh, it, it, that that self-storage space up there in Fernie, what do you think that would cost? Um, if you had $4.6 million, I think you could make a deal. Yeah, no, I'm out. Do you have an exclusive <laughs> on it yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, I, I know just the owner incredibly well. So. Just kidding. A- Adam, Adam, I'm asking Adam, for Corey. Corey's yeah. already brokered the deal. Adam, Adam, put your phone down right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, we have uh, we have we have a six pack here called the MLG Six Pack. We ask you six lighthearted questions about yourself outside of the office. Do you have just a few more minutes for us? Of course. The six-pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team, these are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. Favorite movie? I'm going to go with uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, so good. I haven't, I haven't uh, seen that in years. That was, a, that was a good one. one. What is a book that you'd recommend all of our listeners read? Uh, Grit. I think it's Angela Duckworth. Oh, that's a good one. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, I'm partial because I actually grew up in Hawaii. So I go to oh. vacation in Hawaii a lot. You grew up in Hawaii? Wow. I grew up in Hawaii. Yeah, until Amazing. I was 18, and then I came to Uvic. Wow. Holy. So how what? does it take to leave Hawaii? I was, I was just thinking, <laughs> I was just thinking, like, what, what goes to your head when you're sitting on a beach in Hawaii having a corona, looking at the blue ocean, thinking, you know what? I want to move to Victoria. A very frank facts of life talk with your father uh, about tuition costs. Ah, wow. okay. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. There you go. I, I got to ask, where in Hawaii did you grow up? Uh, Kailua on Oahu. Do you wow, know Saturday. Dog the Bounty Hunter? Uh, I is that I your Hawaii don't. reference? That's yeah. all I got right now. However, I have definitely seen him before. Wow, he wasn't chasing you, was he? 
Well, if he was, he didn't catch me. So. Okay, okay. Just making sure because uh, you have a criminal background check done to have a license in this province here. <laughs> um, what are some uh, a favorite quote or words you live by? It goes back to my uh, sixth grade math teacher, Mr. Cheney. And he says, if you want to be lazy, just do it right the first time. All right, I'll. Uh, this is this is the question that everyone everyone seems to either get stumped on or enjoys it. And when you know, I mean, we're not pointing fingers here at Adam, but they stole it for their show. Um, <laughs> favorite band or song? Favorite band or song? Third Eye Blind, Motorcycle Drive By. Oh, we've never had Third Eye Blind. We've never had Third Eye Blind. I feel like is Third Eye Blind. I mean, I feel like that's a '90s uh, yep. band, right? Is that are they still oh, yeah. around? Oh yeah, they're still touring. I was supposed to go down to see them in Chicago in uh, March of uh, late March 2020, but we all know how that turned out. Wow, yeah. I haven't heard that name for a while. That's uh, in in your wheelhouse. With uh, you, you listen to a lot of 90s rock, right, Gordon? Well, I sadly I, I discovered that a lot of the stuff I grew up listening to is now on Rock 101, the classic rock station. So, <laughs> so that's kind of where I have to go now. If I'm listening to Z95, I think my six year old thinks I'm nuts. Right. <laughs> And last question, uh, what is one piece of advice you'd have for, for listeners? Uh, in terms of self-storage? Or sure, sure. Time? Let's frame it there. What, what's, so someone who wants to get into the self-storage business or acquire it through an investment, what is one piece of advice to you as the self-storage authority in Canada? What would you give them? Hire the right experts and listen to them. Very so, good advice. So on that note, Pat, how can people get a hold of you? <laughs> uh, you can email me at patwilliamandwright.ca. William Wright, sorry, not and right. Or uh, call me on my cell phone at 250-589-0034. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today, Pat. Really appreciate it. And it was a, a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for uh, yeah, sort of great. exploring that asset class for our listeners. Yeah, anytime. All right, there you have it, folks. Our interview with Pat Wood of William Wright Commercial in Victoria, self-storage specialist, the authority, the only one, all the above. <laughs> the guy is incredibly knowledgeable, and I haven't met anyone that has that much about self-storage ever. It, it's it, You can tell, right? I mean, it was such a good conversation. We covered everything, uh, all things self-storage with Pat. I really appreciate him being on the show. I'm I'm so surprised at at the numbers and and that space as just an asset class in, just crazy. in, in general. Uh, we were kind of talking about it off air afterwards and kind of thinking about all the different companies and 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 how also how creative it is. Like the car yeah. wash, when you think about car wash just as like a cash machine, yeah. and then you think of self storage, it's it's so smart to just marry the two, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, just like you're going to your storage unit, you, you drop something off, get your car washed, drive away later, perfect. and they take two hundred bucks. There's got to be a laundromat added to that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be. Well, you know? if you go to the one in Coquitlam, yeah. there's a McDonald's there, so you could literally spend the afternoon. <laughs> That's, that's like it's just it's 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 perfect. That's a day. That's that's honey, a honey, Sunday, where, honey. Where are you going? I'll be back at two. Yeah, <laughs> just exactly. Three I'll, happy meals later. Uh, third eye blind. Yeah, that was a funny. That third was, eye blind. I kept thinking. So I confused three doors down, three days grace, 
Third Eye Blind. There's all these 90s bands that were yeah. really into the yeah. three, right? Yeah. Having And they all have mashed into one band. And don't forget your favorite, 98 Degrees. That's, that's 98 Degrees. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I only listen to bands with numbers in them. That's, <laughs> that's my rule of thumb. <laughs> but uh, Third Eye Blind is, uh, is, I feel like there's a, I can't remember what the song is, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be adding that to the Kokomo Life uh, the Kokomo playlist. Life. Yeah, that's definitely, I, I, I hear that and I think about, you know, you know, you're in high Simpler school. Times. Yeah, I'm in high school. I'm jumping off the local bridge into the river in Pimettos. Yeah. I got to have a quick shower after because I'm going yeah. to IGA to work in the afternoon to go stock the produce. Like, yeah. It's just like life couldn't get any easier. The, yours, your high school sounds amazing. I, I'm picturing mine is I, I'm stuck in a locker. I just got yeah. shoved in there. <laughs> I'm crying. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> and I'm listening to well, third if eye. You if you weren't wearing your 98 degree shirt to yeah, school, that's the problem. That could have been part of the problem. <laughs> that was the problem. What else do we got before we cut to the for the day here, Corey? We we've had some great episodes on the Vancouver Commercial yeah. Real Estate Podcast lately. Um, we've got some great ones coming up. Corey, any other projects we want to talk about or anything before well, we cut for the day? Well, we talked briefly about uh, last episode about the success of the West Shore Business Park, which I think we're getting up to that 40% range. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating. I have to double-check the numbers, but we're yep. hovering in that 40% range now on, on offers written, okay. under contract, and or firm already. So tremendous. And I know they're fielding calls over there almost every day. Yep. We got a lot of exciting projects in the pipeline coming down the pike. And then, I mean, we got some great stuff happening in Kelowna up there that we're going to talk about in a future episode and what's going on up there. But just, you know, everywhere in the province right now, it seems like it's, it's really, really going in the right direction. And, and, you know, businesses are reopening and there's excitement and optimism. So we definitely got uh, no complaints. Fantastic. And if anyone wants to get in touch to discuss commercial real estate. Yep. They can reach me at Corey at WilliamWright.ca. They can always go visit our website, WilliamWright.ca, or they're welcome to call our Vancouver office, 604-428-5255. And uh, we'll put them in touch with the best broker in their marketplace anywhere in the province to help them either sell, acquire, or, or lease space. Awesome. So when people are looking to download the latest on the VCREP or the VREP stuff, where can they find that stuff, Adam? Yeah, Corey, you can head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate, including the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We're also available on all the different uh, podcast players out there including where I'm now just getting it. it. It took me forever to get into Spotify and now I've just signed up for Spotify. We're going to actually be adding the Kokomo playlist. We're doing a Spotify playlist that's going to be public and it's going to be on the site. So we're adding, We've not only have we stolen the band question yeah. over at VREP, yeah. but now we're actually doing a playlist. So we're, we'll, we'll probably add the VCREP VREP playlist and put it on uh, the site so people can download that uh, that playlist. And are you guys going to kind of do like the old Green Day stuff where like you listen to the last song, two minutes goes by and then your 98 Degrees pops on yeah. like a secret song? Yeah, there's going to be a secret song, a secret song and uh, it might just be uh, me, you and Matt doing 98 <laughs> Degrees. <laughs> the harmonies will be on point. We were talking about getting this stuff onto YouTube. That right. is the episode that we got to launch with you guys dancing and singing to 98 Degrees. <laughs> you just got to follow us on TikTok. <laughs> just kidding. It doesn't exist. Anyways, have a great week, guys. Thanks, guys, for listening. Subscribe today.